Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner. I am the producer of the show, and we are really happy to have you join us today. Of course, another fantastic guest. Today we have the renowned cardiac anesthesiologist, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. She is a tenured professor and vice chair of strategy and innovation in the Department of Anesthesiology at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. She's the founder of Brave Enough, where she leads over 12,000 female physicians. But listen, she is well-versed in the Enneagram. She's very experienced. She's actually an Enneagram coach. She is an eight with a seven wing. She talks about when and where it's helpful to wing nine, when and where it's helpful to wing seven. We talk about subtypes. We really get into a lot in this episode. Dr. Sasha Shilkut, you're gonna love this one. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And without any further ado, here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Dr. Sasha Shilkut, welcome to Typology. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here. Well, I am so honored and thrilled to have an Enneagram 8 who is also a woman because I am surrounded by women 8s in in my life. And I have a special affection for for women 8s. And I'm very protective. That's not the right word. Um, I am an advocate for women 8s in the world. And uh, we'll we'll, we'll hit on that in a moment. Um, So what I'd love to know is, How did you come to learn about the Enneagram and how did you learn that you were an eight? So the first time I was introduced to it, I think was probably five or six years ago, I was taking an executive leadership course for physicians and executives in healthcare at Harvard um, through one of their medical programs, continued medical education programs. And I thought, oh, here we go, because every time I take a personality test or assessment, it's gonna tell me all the things I don't like about myself and and I don't want to take this test. And I took it and I I saw mm. the stress and the growth paths. And I was like, oh my gosh, I healthcare where we work with teams of people. I think a lot of personality and conflict comes out, you know, day to day to day. And I thought it was so interesting because it was the most description of not just how I would act in conflict or in stress in the operating room or the clinic or wherever I was, but really like that internal battle, like this is what I want to say, but this is what I'm going to do, what I know I should do. And, and I could be both of those things. Like that's what was so eye opening to me. It wasn't just like one label. And so that was my first introduction. And then a couple years went by and I wanted to get some leadership coaching one-on-one. And my instructor said, have you ever taken the Enneagram? And I said, oh, I think, which was so eye-opening. It was the first time I took an internal assessment of myself and didn't feel bad. Mm -hmm. Like didn't feel, didn't feel like I was too much of something because as an eight, I am a lot, I don't have a dimmer switch. And as you say, and um, it, it was the first time I felt like this is the person God created me to be. This is the person I am. And instead of feeling bad and toning down who I am, I get to choose. I get to choose whether I choose the stress path or the growth path, or I get to choose if I'm winging this way or winging that way. And it's okay. And so it almost was so empowering for me. And I thought if it's empowering for me, it has to be empowering for other people on my team that I work with every day. So I really started mm. to study it at that point. Wow, that's great. I, I'm, I'm so thrilled that it's been a, a help to you. So, and you described a little bit about how you use it on a daily basis, uh, which is fantastic. Now you're married as well, right? I am married. Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> what, what, what type is your husband? My husband is a one okay. and a very good lesson for me because I, I took, I actually started to study the Enneagram and, and took a, a course to become certified. And I thought, you know how they tell you don't type other people. And I thought the whole time I'm taking this course, yeah, course I'm typing yeah. my husband. Right. Um, and then I finally pitch it on him. Like we go to Hawaii and to, for vacation. I'm like, I'm going to, this is the perfect time. We're alone. I'm going to like, you know, do this whole thing. And I thought he was a six <laughs> because because whenever I'm an eight, so I'm like, I'm going to do this amazing thing and I'm going to go full speed ahead. And so we, you know, he's like the damper effect. And I always thought he was a, a six, um, but he's a one. Interesting. And once I, I, you know, we've been married for 20 years and 
I read, I, uh, he told me like, this is who I am. And I said, really, you're a one? He's like, oh, 100%. Our marriage is so less difficult because we know wow. each other's types. And we, and I would say we have a very solid, we've had a great marriage for the last 20 years, but our conflicts are different. The way we work through conflict, I typed my yes. husband wrong. <laughs> the person I'm supposed to know right. Yes. So it was yeah, a good lesson When for me. I first learned the Enneagram, right? So I was a baby student of it. I thought my wife was a two, but she's a nine, which is a very common mistype, mm -hmm. right? I thought yeah. my daughter Maddie was a two and she was a nine. So, you know, you, you, as you know, you got to be around, you, regardless of how much expertise you have with the Enneagram, you have to maintain some humility about what you know yes. about the internal world of, of yes. other people, mm -hmm. you know? And I would absolutely agree. What's your subtype? I am a social, well, my I'm a social, mm -hmm. <laughs> not surprising that I lead a large organization with thousands of women. Um, and I wing typically to this, uh, to a seven, mm -hmm. you know, I, it's, I don't, I love sevens. I, I gravitate towards the sevens. Um, but I, there are times where I find myself winging to a nine, especially as a leader, I think, mm -hmm. you know, how I am at home, I think is a lot different. Like, you know, you read about your blind spots. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is operating room. I'm an eight. Like, there's no doubt I'm an eight. Um, and I think as a doctor, that's probably a good feeling as, as the patient. But when I'm leading my organization with 12,000 women doctors, I don't often, I can't be an eight. Uh, mm -hmm. I have to be winked towards a nine a lot of times because that's what who I have to be as the peacemaker and I have to kind of pull people in. And so I think it, I love, that's what I love about the Enneagram because it's not so, it, you know, you think, oh, it's just right. labeling people into nine boxes, but it's really not. Right. No, it's incredibly fluid and dynamic. And one of the things that you said that is, you know, makes sense to me is that you're drawn to sevens because three sevens and eights are the three most aggressive numbers on the Enneagram, right? That's the first thing. So, so meaning that when you see something you want, you go and get it. Sometimes you'll go and get it without asking the person or the situation to give it to you, oh, right? Yeah. So three, oh, yeah. three sevens and eights will, will tend to do that. Whereas, you know, fours, fives, and nines are withdrawing type. I, I tend to go internally to find what I need and want versus going mm. outside and grabbing it from, from someplace else. The other thing that you, you mentioned that I think is important for everyone to realize is that, you know, I'm a, like a four with a three wing, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean I'm, I necessarily, you know, it's determined that forever and ever I will be that. I, can, I still have choice. Mm -hmm. So I can choose to say today, man, I've got to lean into four with five. I'm working on a book. I have a lot of research to do. And, and there's a side of me that loves research. Mm -hmm. And I want to go over to that five and really tap into that energy. And so people think, oh, no, you can't do that because that's not your wing. It's like, no, you mm -hmm. can choose to do that, to, to find that energy. And, and I think that's important. The, the, the last thing that I would say that I loved hearing you talk about um, was this idea of, you know, we tend to think of our arrows as uh, stress and security. Mm -hmm. I like to think of them uh, in a whole different way. So leave stress and security completely out of the, the conversation. Think of them as a recovery point and mm. a challenge point. Mm. So like, for example, with the eight, the recovery point is two. So what you need to do is reclaim mm. the gift of the, of the healthy two, being mm. more attuned to people's feelings. And you had that as a child. You know, that's yeah. one of the things that just got lost. We forgot about ourselves mm -hmm. as little people. And then, you know, uh, our challenge point is the high, your challenge point is the high side of five, not the low side. That's where you go in stress, but the high side of five, which will feel unnatural mm -hmm. to you <laughs> and challenging to you. But again, it's, it's this, um, this, this learning to, to understand those arrows, not just as stress and security, but as growth and recovery points. I love that. And so I love everything you just said. I love everything you just said. It's so fantastic. So tell me, how do you show up for the world? I think I, most of the time I show up as a leader. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just, I always feel a responsibility to lead. And it's not, you know, it's funny because I don't actually love leading other people, but I have this immense sense of, I have to lead myself. I, I have to be yes. in control of myself. And, and, and that I think is part of me being an eight. And I, it took me a long time to understand that because a lot of times I would find myself in leadership positions and I would be angry 
because I'm like, why am I always having to lead? I was in a group would just was that was the natural progression. You know, when you go into a group and you dominate the conversation, you're probably going to end up leading the project or program or whatever. And then I would walk out and be like, why do I have to do this? So it's so I think most of the time I show up as a leader um, and I do that. I try to do that as, as mm. just by leading as an example. For example, you know, I chose medicine um, and medicine is a very clear cut path. This is how you become a doctor. This is what a career as a physician looks like. And then I realized in that I didn't really, that felt constricting to me. So, you know, about five years ago, I kind of pivoted and started a online community for women doctors who were burned out and kind of grew this. And a lot of people in academia were like, what are you doing? This is this is not the path. This is not the norm. Uh, your cardiac anesthesiologist, like go back to the operating room. And that felt really constraining. And when I started my, my uh, foundation and organization, one of the ways I try to show up every day is leading by example that you get to choose in life how you show up for your career and your family. And even though we like to blame our, our culture and our surroundings, perhaps for the constraints that are put on us, we really get to choose like where we go to work every day, how we show up every day. And, and I try to do that by leading by a bad example. And it hasn't been easy. I mean, there are times where I'm like, why am I an eight? This is so exhausting. Like, why can't I just have been happy being a cardiac anesthesiologist until I was um, and I want to I want to make sure that when I leave this world, I leave the impact of I led authentically myself. And I hope I gave an example to other specifically other women um, in healthcare that they can do the same thing that you can be a doctor, but you can also do this. You can be a nurse and you can do this other thing. You can be a researcher and write a book like we're more dimensional than just one thing. And so that's how I think I try to show up in the world. Oh, that's so beautiful. Uh, you know, as you know, eights hate constraint. <laughs> they, they don't They don't like people placing limitations on them or telling them what to do. Uh, in fact, as a friend of mine used to say, if you want an eight to do something, just tell them not to do it. <laughs> you know? It's so true. It is so true. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> Go ahead, please. No, I mean, I just laugh because I remember being a first year on faculty and I wanted to do a research project. And my supervisor at the time said, well, you have to get funding. You have to get a grant. Like you're, you can't just go and do research without funding. And he said, unfortunately, no one in our department's ever gotten NIH funding, which is like the mecca of funding, you know, as in medicine. No clinician has ever gotten NIH funding in the Department of Anesthesiology. And I was like, there's the line. Like I'm there. You just drew a line. <laughs> Like, I'm going to do it. And so I did it. And I it took me five years. I was the first person in my department to get NIH funding. But more than anything, I learned that that, that it's not a good, that's not a good reason to do something. Right. Oh, you know, good. It was not, it, it almost killed me, number one. And then at the end of it, I thought, mm. I don't even love this anymore. Like, why? You can't do it instead of doing what I really wanted to do. So I learned a lot through that process. <laughs> That is so great. And I, I hope all our eights uh, heard that, that, you know, just because someone told you you couldn't do it or because it was there, like a mountain, you know, right. um, you have to be discerning, right? You know, yeah. you got to figure out which fights am I going to pick? Uh, is that fight really worth it? Um, what projects am I going to take on? Is that really what I'm supposed to do? Right. Mm -hmm. And I love that you self-identify as a social eight because I was reading, it didn't, your, your bio didn't tell me what your subtype was, just said you were an eight with a seven. And I'm reading it down and about brave enough and these 12,000 doctors you're working with and trying to help them help them. Mm -hmm. uh, see, and, and what most people, and this has happened to me multiple times, particularly with women eights, is people have experienced them as just powerful twos, mm -hmm. you know, and when in reality, it's like, nope, that's a social eight. And this is why it's the counter type. And this is why people need to know subtypes, because yes. um, if they don't, they're going to mistype somebody, mm -hmm. you know, they're yes. going to mistype somebody. Uh, and that social eight is a softer, more emotionally attuned person. You can, you have the advocacy bone, right? You, you, you want to get out there and, and uh, work for the underdog, right? Mm -hmm. Or per, the person with a perceived weakness, right, in the world. Um, and what you just described that you do with these 12,000 women is just right in the zone of a social eight, right, right in that zone. Totally. I mean, a hundred. And, and it's so good because it allows me to feed that part of me. 
that I feel like is, is where I find my joy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I love helping these women, uh, find their, their passion, their career passion. And I love have seeing them get promoted. You know, like when I see, when I help another woman get promoted, it, Honestly, it brings me more joy than if I were to get that promotion or I were to get that manuscript published mm. or I were, you know, and I, I think that's like, I don't have any problems coming out of the dugout, so to right. speak, <laughs> like, and defending, defending women or defending or saying like, wait a minute, you know, I'm part of a leadership team. And I, we can say, I say, wait a minute, why are we paying him this? And why are we not paying her that? Like, I don't have a problem being that doing that, but more than more. So I love like helping women get to where they I know they can be I can see their potential and and I think that that's the beauty of being a social or uh, my tri-type like I love being a social aide and I think a lot of times I misunderstood that or and I would get that feedback you know in my early years in medicine um when when then I would go home at night and I'd be like why am I like that you know like I just want to help this person so it's taken me a while but the Enneagram has made me understand like actually I'm a social eight. So no, mm. no wonder I want to help people. And no wonder I, I want to get out there and defend them and say like, wait a minute, you can go for that promotion or you can ask for that pay raise because it's coming from that social place. Yeah. And, and so much of that is about empowerment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, eights are all about, in many ways, they're, they're like ones, they're great mentors, but here's the thing. You got to show up uh, willing to give 125% or the eight will lose interest in empowering you or mentoring right. you. It's like, yeah. I, so I don't have time to be with people who don't aren't all the way in on, you know, killing the mountain, you know, yes. uh, otherwise the eight's going to go, eh, I don't know, you know, that I don't have much interest. Right. And I, I think when I first started training other doctors or training medical students and residents and fellows, I would get that on my, on my feedback all the time. Like, Dr. Shilkut is a really good teacher, but she only likes like the high achieving because I would, I would recognize those people and I would invest in them. And it, it was good feed. I didn't right. realize what it was saying, but what it, it, that's exactly what it was describing. And so I've had to learn that about myself, that this person who may not have, they're a little more reserved, maybe they're five, you know, maybe they're really cerebral. It doesn't mean that they don't have the same passion. I just have to give them the same mm -hmm. chance. And you know, and show up for them like I would the three that comes out to medical school and they're like, I'm ready to take on everything because that person's easy for me to gravitate and push up and sponsor. Yes. And that speaks to the habit of attention at the eight. <laughs> so when eight walks into the room, mm -hmm. their first question is, who's got the power? Like who has the juice? Who, who has the energy that I naturally move toward? And so like threes, and you mentioned sevens, eights, you're drawn to people who have that outward mm -hmm. energy and it's like you feel the juice mm -hmm. and so it wouldn't be natural for you to gravitate toward a four or five or nine right you, right you got to oh. think to yourself okay i got to invest in these people they're different than i am but as you said they just have a different energy and a different focus of attention and um but that doesn't make them less ambitious or desirous to become their very best correct yes and i have my oldest son is I an love him. um and he it's it's really been educational for me. So he's he's 17 uh, and I had him take it this year. I thought he was a nine, but he, he is a nine. And he scored really strong, um, but he is so perceptive hmm. of every single person wow. in our family. And wow. he is so good at having, like taking my pulse. You know, I'll walk in the room and I'm like, okay, I just did this 10 hour surgery and now we got to go to soccer. We got to get this. And he's like, Mom, mm. how was your day? Was it stressful? Like he brings me, he centers me and like brings me back <laughs> to, you know, and, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's so warm and welcoming his presence and his attention that it reminds me like this is, he. there's so much value in them. They have so much value and care. I need to recognize how much that is needed and how much I need that yes. other people probably do. So he's helped me. Uh, especially in healthcare, you know, you work with a team of people and many of them are all different types of Enneagram. And I, I give her put in the back of the room and be more drawn to the extroverts or the really outgoing social types. Um, my nine, my son, who's a nine has helped hmm. change that. You know, and there's an example where the child becomes mother or father to the man or the woman. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, gosh, our, and don't you wish that you knew what types your kids were when they young, were, were younger? Yes. It would have changed everything, right? I know. I know. 
it's an, and especially conflict and how you parent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So what's it like being married to a one? What's the, <laughs> what's the upside oh, and the here. downside? Oh my gosh. The pandemic <laughs> during the pandemic, like, I don't know that there's anything else that can be labeled. Like I went to find my charger the other day and there was a label on it that said Sasha. And I was like, did, did you label this? Like, oh. he's like, yeah, I thought we needed all the, all of the cords should be labeled because, you know, he's, we're in this house and, you know, we, we're not going and doing all the things. But um, the thing I love about being married to a one is um, very thoughtful yes. before we act, like has thought out the whole process. There is a process for everything. So um, we have four kids. My husband works, I work. And every day at 645, I call it the itinerary, like, this person has basketball from this time to this time. It. You are driving from this point A to point B and picking up this person. And then you're going to swing by the store and get this. Like, And I I love that. Like, I, it actually takes pressure off of me. I'm like, I don't have to worry about what I'm doing tonight because someone's telling me the process, you know? So. Right. Wow. So, yeah. So what's so interesting about the 8-1 combination? And you, I'd love to have you comment on this. So let's just sort of, I'm not a Freudian. Not many left. Uh, I'm much more of a Jungian. You know, I approach psychology from a much more Jungian standpoint. But here's where Freud had it right, and where or where his model is useful of you know ego, super ego, and libido or id. Mm -hmm. You, um, you're all id and libido, right? You, mm -hmm. Animal instincts come roaring out, right? <laughs> and he he is much more ruled by his super ego. Mm -hmm. So there are processes and it's much, all that energy is much more tamped down, right? Oh, yeah. Yours is like volcanic and his is, you know, constrained. So, you know, um, he can help you uh, appropriately titrate your energy. You know what I mean? Like, come on, I'll bring it down. You know, this moment oh, requires yeah. titration. I'm going to bring it down a little bit. And, and you can help him let that loose, you know, which yes. is more at that top end of seven, mm -hmm. right? Where it's just like, hey, Get in touch with with that side of you, yeah. um, and and so that can be a great combination that way, or a little bit frustrating. Yes, well, a couple things that I can comment on, like when you say get in touch with his seven, like that's what my kids call vacation dad. They're like, they're like, dad on vacation is so fun. I'm like, yes, because he doesn't have all the processes like he's like we're going to go on this roller coaster and then we're going on this hike and then we're doing this thing and i am an eight who is like when i get, i am burned out i have no energy left i don't want to go to disney world i don't want to stand in any lines i can't handle it i'm going to stay stay by the pool and you just go be vacation dad because he becomes like this child who's like super fun and breaks all the rules and let's have ice cream and you know and right. you're like right i love that <laughs> i love it Catching your tabs because you have soccer and basketball in 30 minutes, you know? <laughs> That's great. Oh, man, that is good, good, good. You know, a few minutes ago, you, you were talking about what you're, you're like in an operating theater. And my, my father-in-law was a cancer surgeon. And he's a, he, he was a nine, a very strong nine. Mm. But when he was in an operating theater, his nurses that he worked with a lot said he was a terror. He was, he scared every nurse known to humankind. He just was, he just became his wing. Yeah. He became an, an eight wing. And he was so intolerant of any mistake. He would, if people didn't hand him instruments fast enough, he would just yell at them. He, he yelled at everybody in the operating theater, essentially. And um, there again is that fluidity of the Enneagram. You know, we, we mm -hmm. everyone's got to open their eyes to the fact that again, yeah. dynamic, dynamic, dynamic system, which I think makes it so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Unlike a Myers-Briggs where it's like, okay, you're an ENFP forever right. and ever. In the box, no yes. movement, no, no, move. no dynamism. Yeah. And, and again, now the frustrating part is, uh, like I, I mentioned to you earlier, we had somebody on uh, the show recently who reported to be one number, but I'm sitting through the whole interview, like clenching my fists <laughs> under the table going, oh my gosh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, and, uh, but again, you know, we all show up for life in our type very differently, mm -hmm. you know? And yes. so I always leave sort of space for that, lest people fall into stereotypes of each type. No, yes, which we uh, yes. definitely don't want to do, right? No, and and also, you know, I think a big lesson for me is as an eight who can easily take charge, walk into a room, dominate, not listen to other people's opinions, not see other people. 
it, it's an it, you never want it to right. be an excuse. And there's always times where I've just wanted to say, well, this is just right. who I am. Like, just deal with it. Um, but you know, the truth is, I have burned people out on my team uh, before. I really understood my own byproduct of an eight who doesn't mm. isn't really in tune and and not really in a good place, especially if I'm not in a good place. Like if I'm tired and I'm over, I've just been burning them going 120%, I will burn sure. out. And when I burn out, I become a terrible <laughs> person. Like, what do you become I like? Mean, Tell me I about go that. To, oh my goodness. Like I, I have zero tolerance for stupidity or mistakes or not understanding. I withdraw. I become paranoid. I are talking about me. They're not talking about me, but I'm convinced they're talking about me. They're plotting against me. I mean, and you know, I get to this point and my husband will literally say, you, I, I'm leaving you alone. We're all leaving you alone for 24 hours and do not come out of the room until you have dealt with whatever is going on. You need to sleep for like, <laughs> normally I just need sleep. I'm like a toddler. And I, I become short with everyone. I think no one appreciates me. You know, it is it is not healthy. Um, very suspicious of other people and very qu and questioning people that I know love and trust me. Um, and so mm. I recognize that in myself now. Like I'm burned out because I haven't, I'm exhausted and I've taken on too much responsibility or too, too much. I just, <laughs> mm. um, and so I have, I've had to learn to not let my eight be an excuse. Like, well, I'm just an eight. So that's just how I am. I roll past people and burn myself out. It's really, it's really, it shouldn't be. An right. And, and, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, we forget things from childhood. And mm -hmm. one of the things that, you know, you know, eights are one of the self-forgetting types. And what you tend to forget is that um, you have limitations, that, that you are vulnerable. <laughs> you have forgotten that you're vulnerable and that, you know, you can burn out. Like, like you, let me put it this way. You forget you're not invincible, oh, right? 100%. And so you will burn yourself out. You'll give yourself a heart attack, right? Mm -hmm. like, like think about eights who are not self-aware. They'll eat too much. They'll eat poorly, that you can't stop them, um, you know, and they don't know that they're killing themselves until they're dead, you, you, you know, and they're like, oh, maybe I was uh, going a little, maybe my excesses were going overboard and I just wasn't checking them. Yes. And I have to remind myself all the time as an eight. In fact, I have it on my phone. Uh, just because I can doesn't oh, mean I, I should. Oh, I love that. Because, because I... I can do a lot of things like, and it's hard for me sometimes to understand why other people can't, you know, my husband says that all the time. He, we have people who work for us and, and, um, in our business and he'll say, I'll say, well, I just need her to do all in 12 hours. Mm. But I love that you have someone in your life who's telling yeah. you that. Yeah. Wow. And, and he's like, you know, we don't want to lose this person. This person has immense value to us. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. It's healthy. Like I stay up for 24 hours in a row all the time at the hospital because I have to. Well, sometimes I'll get in my head. Well, I can just stay up for 24 hours and knock out this book chapter. And then I'm thinking, right. no, <laughs> that is your age. Like you have to pull back and say, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And you can't expect other people's tempo, not work ethic. That's not a good word. Because what you're saying then is your work ethic is greater or something, but a work, different work tempo, a different work, re, you know, reality than you, right? Like it's, it's different. Yes. Well, and I love that you have a totem for it, that you have it on your phone. Yeah. These yeah. little, well, yeah, so I, don't, I wouldn't remember it. I mean, I, I'm such an eight. <laughs> that I literally have to have it to see it. Otherwise, I just go forward. Yes, and uh, you know, I've said this a million times on the show, but you know, on my laptop, I'm a four, uh, and I, I just have a little note on my laptop that says, nothing's missing, mm. Mm. right? Like, because the four is always thinking, there's something missing in me that everybody else seems to have, but I just, it just didn't come with my equipment when I was born. And I've, I've got to compensate for that missing piece. And I'm like, nope, nothing's missing. So it's a little totem that just says, you know, keep working on yourself. Keep, keep changing the unconscious beliefs that are screwing yes. up your life. I have a good right? friend who's a four. And um, I oftentimes find myself sending her little random notes, that little texts that just say, I love you mm. just like you are. You're perfect. You're perfect just how, like you are because she, if, if I get really busy and I, I haven't talked to her in a couple of weeks, she automatically thinks that like she's uh, hurt my feelings or 
she's, you know, done something to offend me or she'll say, were you upset about the Instagram thing I posted a couple weeks ago? I'm like, I, I don't even know what you're talking Yes. Well, because she assumes if they're, well, first of all, she's launched a story, a narrative. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, as we all do in yes. just different ways, different themes to the story. But what she's done is assume because of interjection being a defense mechanism is like, oh, I'm to blame. Right. You know, an eight doesn't feel that way. An eight doesn't right. think, oh, it's my fault. It's like usually. <laughs> Even if it is, we don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> Even right, if wow. it is, we don't know. We just keep asking somebody, we're like, what, what's your problem? Get up from yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is so okay. true. Yeah. That is so, so true. All right. So I've just finished writing a new book. And in it, I talk a lot about passions because I realized after I wrote The Road Back to You, well, we couldn't spend as much time on any topic because it was a primer. But you know, I wished I could have spent so much more time on the passion of each type because I, I think they get short shrift a lot of the time. Um, people don't realize that, you know, this is a big statement, but people are going to hear me say this a lot over the next uh, season, that your passion is the source of your suffering. It's really the source of your suffering. It's this internal, emotional, motivation driving sort of thing that's always there right? It's just always there. And it's constantly directing your thoughts, feelings, and actions, right? And it's almost like the passion is saying, if you just do it this way, if you just do what I tell you, you will get what you want in life. Now, the problem is that what it's telling you to do is actually going to thwart you're getting what you want in life, right? And so it's like, if you can begin to recognize when your passion is in control, which is when you're not very self-aware all the time, right? Mm -hmm. um, then if you can figure that out, you can start to practice what we call contra a Jerry. I don't call it that. Ignatius of Loyola called it that. Um, and which means to, to do the opposite. Do the opposite of what you would normally do. Mm. Even though it's going to make you burn more calories, do the opposite because that's going to bring you into, you know, integration, right? A place of integration. So your passion is lust, which I love how Naranjo explains lust. He says that it's a, um, a burning sort of passion for excess and immediate engagement with the environment and people. Mm -hmm. It's like immediate engagement. I want immediate engagement with the environment and people. And um, I want uh, to... Um, as, as we mentioned earlier, there's this sort of passion for excess, this lust for life. It's like if anyone's read Zorba the Greek, you know the classic eight, right? It's this lust for life. Tell me how you're, you're trying and you're consciously trying to mitigate lust in your life. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, how are you working with it to become a more integrated person? Oh my gosh. I feel like you're like, you just read my, you just read my last 24 hours in my brain. <laughs> I love when I do that. <laughs> so, okay. So, so it's the pan it's, we're in the middle of yep. 2020 and or at the end of 2020. Thank God. And uh, that has been, it has been probably the biggest thing that I have had to challenge myself on is going to work, mm. coming home not getting on stages, not flying all over the world, meeting people, feeling the endorphins, getting all the fun, you know, ordering my favorite champagne because this is who I am when I'm at the Ritz. Like, oh, I'm going to order this and this. Nobody know it's my favorite place on the planet. Like, don't go to the Ritz if you're an eight because you will not get out of there for one night under a grand because they never they bring, they bring me like the cheeseburger to my room after my talk and I'm like, they're like, man, do you anything else? I'm like, do you have chocolate chip cookies? Well, we can make you one. Okay. You know, I mean, this is me. I'm like such an eight. So this, this year has been, I feel like, okay, I'm not coming home to the Ritz every night. I'm not getting chocolate chip cookies. I'm not getting to stand on a stage and get yes, like yes, yes, all yes. the energy from the people. And for example, last night I worked all day in the operating room, had a very long, stressful day and I'm driving home. And all I could think about is, I deserve a glass of wine. I deserve a really nice meal. I deserve, but you know, I'm coming home to my kitchen and to eat and like all this. And I just wanted to escape. And the truth is that when you are uh, for an eight, when I want to escape, it's not healthy things. Mm. That's where the lust really comes right. out, right? Like I try, I start creating a story like, I deserve to go somewhere on vacation and get away from this crazy because I just did all this hard work and blah, blah, blah. And what I'm learning this year is like to do the wow. opposite, which is not fun and what I hate. So 
I made myself some peppermint tea. I got out my journal. I sat with my feelings, which I hate not feeling like 100% all the time. I was angry. I wrote out some things for my... He doesn't want to be vulnerable and feel those... I don't like right. to process icky feelings. I just wanted to pour myself a glass of wine, shut my door, ignore the fact that I had kids, dream about you know a beach vacation, but that's not the reality I'm living in, and I can't be that way all the time. That's right. not healthy. So uh, ways I'm trying not to engage that lust, being okay, not feeling wonderful all the time, like having sitting in my yoga pants with a cup of tea and not feeling 150,000 great endorphins, that's life. So nothing's wrong with me when I feel that way. I'm human. I'm having to learn that as an eight. Um, not buying everything. You know, I think that's, if, you, if you're somebody who is an eight and you don't have, you know, you process stress in different ways and you're not trying to, and you want to live an ethical life, it's really easy to go on Amazon and spend $500, but that's another way that less is actually taking over your brain and hijacking. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to buy all these things. No, 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 Sasha. That's again, you're trying to avoid mm -hmm. the feelings of maybe this is a hard year and maybe you just need to sit here and, and, and for a bit. So trying not to be in excess of things, whether that's buying something, drinking, eating, so uh, or you know what? Mm -hmm. The social media, you know, that's another way I think you can mm -hmm. fill lust is, oh, how many likes did I get today? Oh, how, how many how many fans do I have? That's not healthy either. So <laughs> No, they're not. But as you know, it's the pathway to peace. It is. You're right. Absolutely you know, right. You know, and, and when we can sort of begin to be, um, you know, self-leadership, when we start to exercise self-leadership, then life starts to become so much easier, you know? Yeah. And you see, of course, that, you know, the strategy of your passion, you know, if you just go at life with excess, you will get what you want. And it's like, no, you'll become an addict. <laughs> oh, it's it's you know? absolutely true. It's 100% true. And I, I am aware of that in myself, that that, is, that feeling of I want to mm -hmm. escape. I always think oh, I'm just stressed. I want to escape. But really, it's that fueling of the lust. Yes. And it's also your seven wing because you, you <laughs> were just talking right. about dreaming about the future. You're just <laughs> talking about having, you know, having fun, uh, doing this, doing that. You know, it's like I'm also going, oh, there's a lot of seven wing in there, you know, <laughs> uh, kind of like making its presence. I don't want to feel those feelings, those bad feelings. I want to, you know, I, I want to go have a bottle of champagne. It's like, oh, there's that seven wing going there too, yep. you know, coming into play, which mm -hmm. is really good for people to see, you know. Hey everybody, one of the lessons I've learned over the years is that not everybody benefits from a traditional 50-minute counseling session. And this is why some people can go to couples therapy or personal counseling for a long time and never really get anywhere. This is why I'm such a believer of intensive counseling and my friends at Restoring the Soul in Colorado, created by my longtime friend Michael Cusick to help couples or individuals experience deep change and have day blocks over one or two weeks. Now listen, if you can't wait months or years to get to the bottom of an issue or to experience breakthrough, you need to get in touch with my friend Michael and his extraordinary team of counselors at Restoring the Soul. If you're looking to get out of the rut you're in but can't wait months or years, call Restoring the Soul today for a free consultation with Michael's staff. Call 303-932-9777 and learn how their intensive counseling process can help you. As a special bonus, just for Typology listeners, make sure to visit www.restoringthesoul.com slash typology to download their PDF called Five Ways Unaddressed Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationships. Tell me about your book. So my book is called Between Grit and Grace, The Art of Being, being Feminine and Formidable. And I think it's really interesting because uh, I have always been what I think most people would call a gritty leader, you know, I'm an eight. So I'm like, I have no problems taking over control of a room or a meeting or a group of people. And yet there is this very, you know, strong, when I'm in my mm -hmm. best self, I have a lot of two and I want to help people. And I kept finding myself in conflict with the more grace giving side, of, which is my two, right? When I was the eight. And so, and I think, especially for women, we tend to put ourselves and other women in boxes. Like she's the kind of woman who's very formidable. She's a leader. She's very competent, but you really wouldn't want to have her for right. Or she's a, or she's a bitch. <laughs> and then, 
Yeah. Or she's totally bitchy. Um, but she'll take good care right. of whatever mm -hmm. problem, but you don't want to be your friend. And so, or, or we see a woman who's maybe more introverted, more of a quiet leader, more of a team builder, more of a helper, uh, more of a two or nine. And we are like, she's a great person and great team member, but she's not a good leader. And that's just silly. Like we do this, we put ourselves to authenticity and how I realized like, no, 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 I get to choose how I show up today. Mm -hmm. And some days that is taking charge and running a code right. and telling everybody what I need. But some days it's sitting next to a patient and saying, I don't think I can help you with this. Right. And sharing grief. Mm. Yeah, that's okay. That is so, so, so great. In fact, I'm just going to read you something if I can find it really fast. Because, you know, before I do interviews, I, I always go back to sort of basic texts, you know, and just remind myself of different things. Because, as you know, there's a lot to, there's so much information oh. about, about different types. But I, I can't find it here immediately. But if we're, if we're going to use that Jungian language, um, you know, I think that the eight archetype, is sort of the masculine archetype and the two is the feminine archetype mm -hmm. right now i'd have to go into this in real great depth to help people understand that i'm not making gender statements here when i say masculine right. and feminine yeah. but because in Jungian world it means something a little bit different but that said bringing the feminine and the masculine that all of us have all of us i have a feminine dimension and a masculine dimension as do women Mm -hmm. And so bringing the feminine and the masculine into balance and, and out of the shadow, but just fully embodying both mm -hmm. is super important for human integration and, and growth. Mm -hmm. And that's what it sounds like you're talking about, grit yes. and grace. Yes, grit and grace. And it's okay to be, you can be both of those things and not be labeled like, oh, she's moody. <laughs> Does right. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, and men listening, you have a feminine dimension that needs to come to the fore alongside that masculine dimension or you are forever going to be out of balance, disequilibrated, yes. right? And you, you know, um, you know, if you're a father who's an aggressive type, let's say, to be able to also make contact with that more nurturing side, that more. And by the way, I mean, this is also okay. I'm gonna get in trouble here with some people, but I don't care. Um, I would say also having an awareness of both the feminine and the masculine dimension of God, right? The, right. the maternal and yes archetypal paternal side sure. of who God is, yes. right? Like, like I oftentimes tell clients who had terrible fathers, I'll tell them because it's such a stumbling block then if they think of God in the masculine. Right. Mm. So I'll say to them, think of God in the maternal. Right. Yeah. Pray to mother God. That's yeah. perfectly fine. God will get it. Right. You know, right. <laughs> you know? don't worry it. about it. God will get it, you know, <laughs> uh, because, because it's going to make it easier for you to find connection in your spiritual mm -hmm. life to who God I love is. That. Right. You know? But of course, I run into a lot of resistance, as you as you might. I, as you I might, sure you do. <laughs> yes, I do, and I like the resistance in some ways. That's okay. Well, I don't all the time because as a four, I'm very attuned to abandonment when people leave me. You know, dis dis disengaged or in right. disagreement. You know, you thrive on disagreement. I don't. I don't. I don't thrive on disagreement. <laughs> I, I I strive on specialness and uniqueness. But, but you know, the problem is, is that that often gets me the exact opposite of what I want mm -hmm. and need in life. Um. All right, so here's a very personal question. Are you in therapy right now? Wow, I didn't know you were gonna ask me this question. This is, are you, have you been reading like my <laughs> diary or journal? Like, what is going on? I love this. Here's the thing, um, I, can't, I really can't believe. So I have not gone to therapy in, since I, I lost uh, a child um, in my early career um, patient and I had mm. PTSD from that. And I went to therapy then. And in the last like 10 years, I have not, well, about eight years, I haven't been until the last three months. And the reason is because um, I, I, I'm very transparent about it, but I have this huge group of women, doctors, and you can imagine the mm. kind of the trauma and the grief mm -hmm. of going through the pandemic, um, at being a, a physician, um, many of them are mothers, and then also yes. the social injustice. And many of them look to me <laughs> for inspiration, yep. for positivity, for just encouragement. And I mm. I just took it all on. Like I just, I just, the pandemic, I was like, I'm ready. Oh, we can fight this. You know, we, I'm, I'm good. I'm your person, come to me. And in about October, I could barely go into my group because I didn't mm. know what to say. I didn't know how to encourage them. I didn't know how to help people. And I thought I'm drowning mm. and I wanna, I can't do this anymore. So for the first time in eight years, <laughs> I said, 
I need to, I need to talk to somebody. Um, and man, mm. I went one time and I was like, why have I not been doing this? Like, it was so helpful. And she said, why are you trying to be everybody's mother? Mm-hmm. You are being everyone's mother and you're taking like mm. all this responsibility on your shoulders and you're trying to fix everybody's problems and, and everyone's grief. You're carrying everyone's mm. grief. Whew, that was like, okay. And so I put up some boundaries, you know, I right. dates are not great with boundaries. Um, and I feel so much, I've been going now for the last two months and I feel so much lighter. <laughs> I'm back in my lane. I've like, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. I can't f- sadness and right. difficulties and loss. And I can't fix the social injustice of our, I can only do what I can mm-hmm. do. So I had too much of a hero. I was taking on too much of that hero complex and too much of that mother complex. And my, my therapist thankfully is a brilliant woman that showed me that. Yeah. And you know, again, there's that example of the invincibility mindset of the eight. Uh, eights don't, you know, eights resist therapy a lot of the time mm-hmm. because they're not naturally self-reflective usually unless, see, now again, this is why subtypes are so important. The social eight, what you're describing is quintessential social eight, whereas the self-preservation of the sexual eight would have more trouble going to therapy than mm-hmm. you would, right? You're a little bit more in tune with vulnerability and, and things like that than the other two are, right? Particularly the self-preservation eight. And, um, but when eights get to the therapy, usually they're pretty busted up, right? Because they've oh. been invincible. Like they, weakness, what weakness are you talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like, when they get there, it's usually in a mess, but mm-hmm. it sounds like, uh, okay, eights, listen to me, men and women. Um, therapy is a good thing. It, the, it comes from the word terape, meaning to grow, right? Yes. And so it's important for all of us to, again, you have to find the right therapist. As you know, I think about 90% of them are not great. Um, they're great support people, but they're not really good at digging down. Uh, right. Into the, into, right. It sounds like you found a good one. Oh, um, well, you, you'll laugh, Ian, because do you know what I did when I interviewed? I, I went through like I had to, I acted like I was interviewing sure. the therapist. Good. good. Yeah. I think that's great. And I was like, first of all, I need someone with a, yep. an advanced degree. Second of all, I need someone who actually understands like that I don't have depression or anxiety. I don't have mental illness. I'm not ill. I am. Right. You're hurt. maladjusted. I'm empty you're maladjusted. Yes. Like, I really, really need that. And I got this woman that is smarter than me, which is what I wanted, right? Like, that's what a typical age. Like, I got to have somebody that's like, yes, got the juice. She's got the juice. (laughs) That is so, so great. I've had therapists like that, and and they just, being a therapist makes going to therapy difficult, right? Because I imagine you you go to another doctor in your field, and it's like, you know, what the next statement out of their mouth is going to be, right? You, you, you know, you just know, and you're also evaluating them. Do they have game? Do they not have game? <laughs> if they don't have game, I can't stay. And I fired a lot of therapists out the yeah. gate. You know, I, I, just the other yeah. day I did. I, I was like, I'm going to a therapist for a, a different thing right now. But I'm, I'm thinking as I'm listening, like, mm, no. And they went to the wrong school. They didn't go to the school I want them to go to. <laughs> or, or they went to the wrong. <laughs> no, I need them. I need them to have the right credentials because I'm special. I really need somebody who's going to understand me. <laughs> but I have a high, like, you better bring the game because right. I'll know if you don't have the game. I'll know right. it. You know, right. Uh, and so, but I just, I just encourage every type as they begin to do their work, mm. you know, oh. I think the Enneagram has to be done in community. I don't think it's a good thing to do alone, you mm. know, and, and that's one of the that. things I talk in my new book. It's like, no, you got to find a, you got to find a tribe of people who are using the Enneagram to grow, to do your work with. I you love know? that. So I love, I love that, that it, it should be used in community. That's very true. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to close up with this question. Why did God send you here? <laughs> Don't think too much. Uh, I think he sent me here to help people see what they can achieve Mm, in themselves mm, mm. and to, you know, to be brave enough. You know, you don't have to be brave, courageous, like crazy courageous. The most courageous thing you can do every day is just show up as yourself. Mm. And so that's why I need my company brave enough, Mm. just being brave enough to show up as yourself every day. That's a pretty Mm. brave thing to do in 2020. I love that. I love that, that, you know, you are empowering women, doctors in particular, um, and, and you feel like you've been, the errand upon which God sent you mm-hmm. is to empower people 
um, and to let them know that being brave enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fantastic. And I, I admire you for it. Sasha, uh, tell me, tell folks how they can learn more about you, learn more about all the work that you're doing and about the book. So you can find the book anywhere you buy books. It's called Between Grit and Grace, The, the Art of Being Feminine and Formidable. You can follow me on any platform, becomebraveenough.com or at Become Brave Enough. And I'm so honored to be on your show. Thank you for everything you do to help so many people find and become better and closer to their authentic self. Mm. Well, again, Sasha Shilkut, bless you and all that you're doing in the world. We love women AIDS. Let's hear for women AIDS. Can we get like an applause track? <laughs> we need an applause track for our, our different guests. Will you come back on at some point? I would love it. I would totally love it. And let's get you in the studio post pandemic. Okay. Although I've already had COVID. So you're pretty safe with me. You have. Oh man, I just got over it. Are you okay? Was it okay? Or was it mild? Or? No, I don't know. Mild, moderate. Um, I was very sick for about 48 hours, then okay for three days. And then incredibly like seasick nauseous for about seven days mm-hmm. with a headache. Mm-hmm. And then that passed and I was good. And now I'm my wife and I are both completely recovered. We have very different symptoms. Um, and uh, I'm a little tired. I was just telling yeah. Anthony, I'm a little tired these days, you know, even though I've been over yeah. it for two and a half weeks, but nothing, you know, debilitating. It's just you know, a little bit more tired than, than yeah. normal. But but, but otherwise- Muscles, like a lot of people are having, a lot of men specifically are having terrible No, I have pain. no muscles. <laughs> <laughs> God didn't make me with muscles. <laughs> oh, by the way, I loved your Donald Miller. Oh, thank you. It was you. so well thank done. You. Yes. You are a natural on stage. I, I mean, I've never heard you. I've watched a couple of videos of you speaking, but I'm going to have to have you at one of my conferences because it would be amazing. I'd love it. Oh, that'd be great. Yes. Well, I would love it. And uh, uh, I had a lot of fun with Don uh, putting that 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 put together for him. You know, it was the Enneagram for business and, and it was, it could be for, actually, that course is it for anybody, but yeah. it's particularly aimed for leaders and people in business. and. We had a ball. We did that in two days. We did all nine types in two days. Oh my gosh, it was great. Yeah, talk Very about good. needing to feel invincible. Okay, <laughs> Sasha, thank you so much. Thank it you. was a blast. Thank you both. Peace. Bye bye. Hey everybody. Bye-bye. Remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde: "Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken." <laughs>